0: Chapter 4 of The Frozen Pirate. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jennifer Painter. The Frozen Pirate by William Clark Russell. Chapter 4 I Quit the Wreck. The East grew pale and grey at last. The sea rolled black as the night from it, with a rounded, smooth-backed swell. The wind was spent. Only a small air, still from the northeast, stirred. There were a few stars dying out in the dark west. The atmosphere was clear, and when the sun rose, I knew he would turn the sable pall overhead into blueness. The hull lay very deep. I had at one time, during the black hours, struck into a mournful calculation, and reckoned that the brig would float some two or three hours after sunrise. But when the glorious beam flashed out at last, and transformed the ashen hue of dawn into a cerulean brilliance and a deep of rolling sapphire, I started with sudden terror to observe how close the covering board sat upon the water, and how the head of every swell ran past as high as the bulwark rail yet for a few moments i stood contemplating the scene of ruin it was visible now to its most trifling detail the foremast was gone smooth off at the deck it lay over the starboard bow and the topmast floated ahead of the hull held by the gear many feet of bulwarks were crushed level the pumps had vanished the caboose was gone. A completer nautical ruin I had never viewed. One extraordinary stroke I quickly detected. The jolly-boat had lain stowed in the long-boat. It was thus we carried those boats, the little one lying snugly enough in the other. The sea that had flooded our decks had floated the jolly-boat out of the long-boat and swept it bottom-up to the gangway where it lay, as though god's mercy designed it should be preserved for my use for not long after it had been floated out the brig struck the berg the masts fell and there lay the longboat crushed into staves this signal and surprising intervention filled my heart with thankfulness though my spirits sank again at the sight of my poor drowned shipmates but unless i had a mind to join them It was necessary I should speedily bestir myself. So, after a minute's reflection, I whipped out my knife, and, cutting a couple of blocks away from the raffle on deck, I rove a line through them, and so made a tackle, by the help of which I turned the jolly-boat over. I then, with a hand-spike, prized her nose to the gangway, secured a bunch of rope on either side her, to act as fenders or buffers, when she should be launched, and lying alongside, ran her midway out by the tackle, and, attaching a line to a ring bolt in her bow, shoved her over the side, and she fell with a splash, shipping scarce a hatful of water. I found her mast and sail, the sail furled to the mast, as it was used to lie in her, close against the stump of the mainmast but though I sought with all the diligence that hurry would permit for her rudder, I nowhere saw it. But I met with an oar that had belonged to the other boat, and this with the mast and sail I dropped into her, the swell lifting her up to my hand when the blue fold swung past. My next business was to victual her. I ran to the cabin, but the lazarette was full of water and none of the provisions in it to be come at. I thereupon ransacked the cabin and found a whole Dutch cheese, a piece of raw pork, half a ham, eight or ten biscuits, some candles, a tinder box, several lemons, a little bag of flour, and thirteen bottles of beer. These things I rolled up in a cloth and placed them in the boat, then took from the captain's locker four jars of spirits, two of which I emptied. "'that I might fill them with fresh water. "'I also took with me from the captain's cabin "'a small boat compass. "'The heavy, sluggish, sodden movement of the hull "'advised me to make haste. "'She was now barely lifting to the swell "'that came brimming in broad, liquid, blue brows to her stem. "'It seemed as though another ton of water would sink her, "'and if the swell fell over her bows and filled the decks,' "'Down she would go. "'I had a small parcel of guineas in my chest "'and was about to fetch this money "'when a sort of staggering sensation "'in the upward slide of the hull gave me a fright "'and, watching my chance, jumped into the boat "'and cast the line that held her adrift. "'The sun was an hour above the horizon. "'The sea was a deep blue, heaving very slowly.' though you felt the weight of the mighty ocean in every fold. And eastwards, the shoulders of the swell, catching the glorious reflection of the sun, hurled the splendour along, till all that quarter of the sea looked to be a mass of leaping dazzle. Upon the eastern sea-line lay a range of white clouds, compact as the chalk cliffs of Dover. Threads, presents, Feather shapes of vapour of the daintiest sort, shot with pearly lustre, floated overhead very high. It was, in truth, a fair and pleasant morning, of an icy coldness indeed, but the air being dry, its shrewdness was endurable. Yet was it a brightness to fill me with anguish by obliging me to reflect how it would have been with us had it dawned yesterday instead of today? my companions would have been alive and yonder sinking ruined fabric a trim ship capable of bearing us stoutly into warm seas and to our homes at last i threw the oar over the stern of the boat to keep her near to the brig not so much because i desired to see the last of her as because of the shrinking of my soul within me from the thought of heading in my loneliness into those prodigious leagues of ocean which lay stretched under the sky. Whilst the hull floated, she was something to hold on to, so to say, something for the eye amid the vastness of water to rest upon, something to take out of the insufferable feeling of solitude, the poisonous sting of conviction. But her end was at hand. I had risen to step the boat's mast and was standing and grasping it, whilst I directed a slow look round the horizon, in God knows what vain hope of beholding a sail, when my eye coming to the brig, I observed that she was sinking. She went down very slowly. There was a horrible gurgling sound of water rushing into her, and her main deck blew up with a loud clap or blast of noise. I could follow the line of her bulwarks fluctuating and waving in the clear dark blue when she was some feet under. A number of whirlpools spun round over her, but the slowness of her foundering was solemnly marked by the gradual descent of the ruins of masts and yards which were attached to the hull by their rigging, and which she dragged down with her. On a sudden, when the last fragment of mast had disappeared, and when the hollows of the whirlpools were flattening to the level surface of the sea, up rose a body with a sort of leap. It was the sailor that had lain drowned on the starboard side of the forward deck. Being frozen stiff, he rose in the posture in which he had expired, that is, with his arms extended, so that when he jumped to the surface, he came with his hands lifted up to heaven, and thus he stayed a minute, Sustained by the eddies which also revolved him. The shock occasioned by this melancholy object was so great it came near to causing me to swoon. He sank when the water ceased to twist him, and I was unspeakingly thankful to see him vanish, for his posture had all the horror of a spectral appeal, and such was the state of my mind that imagination might quickly have worked the apparition, had it lingered into an instrument for the unsettling of my reason i rose from the seat on to which i had sunk and loosed the sail and hauling the sheet aft put the oar over the stern and brought the little craft's head to an easterly course the draught of air was extremely weak and scarcely furnished impulse enough to the sail to raise a bubble alongside the boat was about fifteen feet long she would be but a small boat for summer pleasuring in english july lake waters yet here was i in her in the heart of a vast ocean many leagues south and west of the stormiest most inhospitable point of land in the world with distances before me almost infinite for such a boat as this to measure ere i could heave a civilized coast or a habitable island into view At the start, I had a mind to steer north-west and blow, as the wind would suffer, into the South Sea, where perchance I might meet a whaler or a South Seaman from New Holland. But my heart sank at the prospect of the leagues of water, which rolled between me and the islands and the Western American seaboard. Indeed, I understood that my only hope of deliverance lay in being picked up, and that, Though by heading east I should be clinging to the stormy parts, I was more likely to meet with a ship hereabouts than by sailing into the great desolation of the north west. The burden of my loneliness weighed down upon me so crushingly that I cannot but consider my senses must have been somewhat dulled by suffering. For had they been active to their old accustomed height, I am persuaded my heart must have broken and that I should have died of grief. Faintly as the wind blew, it speedily wafted me out of sight of the floating relics of the wreck, and then all was bare, bald, swelling sea, and empearled sky, darkening in lagoons of azure, down to the soft, mountainous masses of white vapour, lying like the coast of a continent on the larboard horizon. But one living thing there was besides myself, a grey-breasted albatross of a princely width of pinion i had not observed it till the hull went down and then lifting my eyes with involuntary sympathy in the direction pointed to by the upraised arms of the sailor i observed the great royal bird hanging like a shape of marble directly over the frothing eddies it was as though the spirit of the deep had taken form in the substance of the noblest of all the fowls of its dominions and poised on tremulous wings was surveying with the cold curiosity of an intelligent empty of human emotion the destruction of one of those fabrics whose unequal contests and repeated triumphs had provoked its haughty surprise the bird quitted the spot of the wreck after a while and followed me its eyes had the sparkling, blood-red gleam of rubies. It was as silent as a phantom, and with arched neck and motionless plumes, seemed to watch me with an earnestness that presently grew insufferable. So far from finding any comfort of companionship in the creature, methought thought if it did not speedily break from the motionless posture in which it rested on its seat of air, And remove its piercing gaze, it would end in crazing me. I felt a sudden rage, and jumping up, shouted and shook my fist at it. This frightened the thing. It uttered a strange salt cry, the very note of a gust of wind splitting upon a rope, flapped its wings, and after a turn or two, sailed away into the north. I watched it till its figure melted into the blue atmosphere and then sank trembling into the stern sheets of the boat. End of chapter 4